This podcast contains stories of abuse. This might be sensitive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tell Me Your Story podcast, a podcast about real life stories from everyday people. Each episode, we dive into intriguing stories from all over the world. Now here's your host, Keisha B. Let's do this. Okay. So. Hey, storytellers. Thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story. I have another story for you today. Now, I'm not going to get into the deets, but instead, we'll let her do that for you. And Lisa, tell me your story. Uh, Hi, I'm Lisa, and I'm an addict. And I'd like to say that in saying that, um, that does not um, describe who I am. Uh, that just is a big reminder of where I do not want to go back to. Um, well, in the beginning, I was born in 1973 to my mother and my father, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my father was um, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And my mother was not very responsible at all. Um, By the age of four, um, um, I'm not gonna get into much detail, but I will say the sexual abuse started. Um, My dad was an addict, so drugs were involved and other people were involved. Um, And that lasted until I was around eight. Um, which really destroyed um, me as a child. Um, I want to get into, um, as, as a child, you know, you have your safe havens um, when you go through things like that. And I want to recognize my grandmother and my grandfather on my mom's side. They were the most important people to me in the world. Um, they uh, are deceased now, but, you know, I thought of my grandmother as my mom. Um, she's very special to me. She's deeply in my heart, and uh, I miss her daily. Um, my mother um, met Jim, um, who uh, was in the military. And, and I don't like calling him Jim. I love calling him dad. He's my dad, my father. Um, he adopted me. Um, and he was in the military. And soon after my mom got married to my dad, you know, my sister was born. I didn't like that very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was alone. Dad gone to siblings. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, but my dad got stationed in Torrejon, Spain. And I'd have to say living in Torrejon, Spain um, in the beginning was um, amazing. Um, I was away from all of the, you know, the crap that I had been experiencing early on. And, um, you know, it was okay until um, we met this family that um, 
Uh, my mom, uh, I guess my dad worked with um, the kid's father and um, uh, sexual abuse started again. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say it was, you know, with me going through what I went through as a child, um, you know, this person was, uh, he wasn't, he was a teenager and I was like 10. Um, but I think it was more, you know, people have different, re um, they did respond differently to different um, traumas in their life, you know, with sexual abuse, some people respond um, where they don't want anything sexual at all, and then others are very promiscuous. And me, I was very um, promiscuous at a young age, and I, you know, that was a taught behavior. It wasn't something that, you know, that's just how I was. Um, so, you know, the abuse continued until we left Spain. Um, me and my sister, um, we uh, moved back um, by ourselves um, due to um, my dad having a heart attack and my mother, she had the, um, the weight loss surgery done in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, she, um, we lived with my grandma, which uh, that was probably the most peaceful time in my life up until now yeah um living with them um you know and then they came back and, and um I remember the day my mom and dad got out of the car coming back my grandfather went and picked them up from the airport and when I came you know when I left my mom she you know she didn't really um, give me much, uh, I guess, information of turning into a, you know, teenager, young lady. Um, so when I left Spain, I was pretty much, you know, still a child. Like, she was dressing me like that, and, you know. But when I got here, my aunt um, kind of took me, and they got my hair permed, and, you know, and, you know, they were like, you know, you're not wearing deodorant yet. And, you know, just showed me the things that I needed to do, you know, as, as a young lady. And um, when my mom got out of the car, it was like, it was like she didn't even recognize me. She didn't give me a hug. She didn't, you know, and that kind of, our relationship was already um, bad um, due to what happened to me as a child and her knowing and not doing anything about it. Um, how, but that, I, how did that make you feel? How old were you when you when you saw your mom got get out that car? I was twelve. Okay, so you were twelve years old, and uh -huh. she she acted like she didn't know you because of maybe what you were claiming. Um, no, she didn't act like that. It wasn't because of that. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I had changed, I was dressing different, my hair was permed, or if, I, I just don't know. I, you know, she had had the weight loss surgery and, you know, when she had that, her whole personality changed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, you know, still today, I, I don't know why she made me feel like that. I, you know, as a 12 year old girl, you would expect your mom to want you to run into their arms and, 
right. no, that wasn't the case. Um, and it, it made me feel alone. It made me feel alone. Um, and that's when, you know, my, I, the depression started and the, you know, mental, mental illness runs in my family. And I do have um, bipolar um, and PTSD. <clears throat> and, um, you know, battling with that and not knowing you have it is, um, is, is hard, very, mm-hmm. very hard. And um, at the age of 13, um, we had all, you know, mom and dad were back from Spain and um, we uh, <clears throat> had gotten settled, they had bought a house and gotten settled in. And uh, I got a phone call one day on the phone um, from a man claiming he was my dad. You know, I knew exactly who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, my mom actually allowed me to go see him. Um, but the um, social services wouldn't allow it to be unsupervised. Mm-hmm. So um, the supervision um, he still, uh, still let me, you know, go, but it was supervised by Yorktown Social Services. And, um, I, uh, I met him, you know, I had a lot of questions, but being a 13 year old girl, you don't know how to ask those questions. I think the biggest question I had was why? Why and did he, why did he do the things that right, he did, okay. did to me? And, um, you know, I, I didn't have enough guts to do it at that did point you, in time. Did you ever get to ask him that question? I've asked him several times as a woman, um, later on in years. And, uh, he never would give me an answer. He would only just say, I'm sorry. Um, did you, you know, accept his apology? Did I you want, ever accept his apology? No. No. Um, accepting an apology to me, and still today, would be... I mean, it just feels like I was saying, like, oh, it's okay. You know, you were on drugs. You, It didn't matter. No, it did matter. You know, it did matter, and you know what you did to me is just, uh, you know, that's something that I'm gonna have to work out with me and God, mm-hmm. and um, you know, learning to forgive Him, and um, I just, you know, He's deceased now. He passed away in 2016. And um, I just, it's just something that I'm still working on right now. Um, with him, it was, you know, I don't know. It was just, it, it was, it's just a bad, estranged relationship. You know, even with him passing, it just, I didn't really have any emotions. You know, I kind of, 
I think the only emotion I had really was anger that I didn't get to, you know, understand why he did the things he did or, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, it's, it leaves me speechless sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's just something that, like I said, me and God are going to have to work out and, you know, in due time, it'll happen. I'm sure. You know, I think God forgave me. I've got to forgive him. Um, so you, so you still have like unresolved feelings after your yeah. dad has been gone for some time now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, that's 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 hard. Yes, it is. So it's it's you know still today. Sometimes I've been through sexual abuse counseling for um, six years, and you know still today sometimes I. You know, I cry when I talk about it. So it's, you know, you know, I just, I just, you know, with the sexual abuse issue, you know, I do want to say to people out there that um, you don't have to allow it to define who you are in life and make the mistakes that I did. You know, you can get help. The pain and the feelings are never going to go away. You know, it's just about how you deal with them, how you learn to, you know, maneuver those emotions and, you know, put them into action for a good purpose instead of allowing it to bog you down all the time. Um, and that's what I'm working on now. When, so. your, when your dad passed away, <clears throat> did that open up the floodgates for you to to talk to your mom about what happened um, to be a little bit more candid about what happened to you um no me and my mom don't really talk that much um um like I said our our relationship is very strange too Uh, I just um talking to her I can't talk to her about a broke nail you know she you know I love her from a distance and mm-hmm. that's probably going to be like that until either one of us pass away you know I've um, with our relationship I've done my part and you know any type of harm or uh, hurt that I have caused her due to my actions you know I've explained to her that you know and I've apologized for it and um, uh, you know what she does with you know, hers, you know, I, I didn't apologize for her. I apologized for me and, you know, and for her and forgave her for me. That's not something that, you know, I, you just can't forget. You know, she was supposed to protect me as a child. You can't forget that. And I don't know. It's That's just a really huge subject that, um, takes a very long time to learn how to live with you know when it's that deep and you know the abuse was for that long <clears throat> and nobody helped right yeah. tell me about the other mitigating factors that happened in your life besides the abuse of your dad okay um like I said um we came back from Spain when I was 12 um I met my dad, like I said, um, I was 12, now I'm 13. Um, 
I want to talk about mental illness. Um, like I said, I have bipolar and PTSD. And um, I uh, was placed into hospitals due to suicide attempts um, um, at the age of 13 and 14. Um, and, um, you know, that's when they found out and I was diagnosed and, you know, I got to put on the proper medications and, you know, I did well for a while. And when I hit 15, you know, I was like, I was, I had gotten into that bad crowd, um, at school and, you know, I knew my dad smoked pot and did drugs and drank. Well, my dad was the first one to introduce me to marijuana as well as heroin. Um, At the age of 16, my dad gave me my first uh, hit of heroin. Um, And from then until 19, it was like the race was on. You know, I did everything I could in my power to make sure that, you know, including prostitution, um, that I was, um, had my, my drug of choice. And, um, I turned 19 and I got pregnant with my daughter, Angel. Um, and, uh. I named her Angel because that's exactly what she was. Um, The minute I found out I was pregnant with her, I went to the emergency room and I told them, look, I'm um, addicted to heroin. I just found out I was pregnant. I need help. And it took a lot for me to do that, but I did it. And, um, you know, I stayed clean the whole time I was pregnant with her. I, uh, I had her, and I can say probably that was the best, best, best moment of my life is them putting her in my arms. You know, she weighed 10 pounds, one ounce, and was 25 and three-fourths inches long. She was a beautiful Oh, wow, big baby. Yes. <laughs> I want to say something. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are thinking probably the same thing that I'm thinking right now. Um, you did, you overcame something that most, uh, people who are addicted to drugs cannot do. Um, they were like, oh, well, I'm sure that the baby will be all right. So I'm just going to keep on smoking or drinking or doing whatever. And you were able to, you know, pull yourself in say, oh my God, I have a life growing inside of me and I need to take care of this life and have her successfully you should be commended for that well given the given the situation that you were in before it happened absolutely i um well i've always said that you know there's two things in this world that absolutely always sobers me up and that's a child walking into a room or my child being around, um, or, of course, the police. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, always the police. (laughs) You know, 
you know, if I was ever over anybody's house and I, we were using, getting high, doing whatever, um, you know, if there were children there, I would take them outside. I would try to take them into the other room and play with them, keep them distracted. You know, that was just, you know, and I get that from my grandmother. Um, my grandma, I think the caring person that I am, I'm about people in general, um, uh, has allowed me to, human life is, and I don't care who you are, you know, human life is important. And, you know, everybody in this world is important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a child is innocent. And, you know, I just don't believe in submitting a child to something before they're old enough make their own decisions and you know that's that's deeply embedded in my heart um my my you know i explained about my grandparents my grandmother she was she was the one always taking me away from that stuff um and you know that's how i felt about my daughter you know i found out i was like oh wow you know i got a human being inside of me Mm -hmm. you know and i knew what drugs were doing because had been in hospitals, you know, before I got pregnant with my daughter. I had been to NA meetings and, you know, I knew what it was doing to my body. And I knew that, you know, if it's doing this to me, it's, you know, she's feeling the same thing. And, um, you know, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So you're 19 years old. You Mm -hmm. just had your baby daughter, Angel. What happened after that? Well, um, I, um, her dad, he was in the military and, um, he retired or had an honorable discharge out of the military and, um, he, uh, moved back to California and he had asked me if I wanted to go and me being only you know, 19, you know, moving across the other side of the United States. And it was very scary for me. New baby, new mom, you know, and, you know, and hindsight's 2020. Today, I wish I would have done it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Today, today I wish I would have done it. You know, I would give anything to bring back that particular time when he asked me that question I um you know I would give anything in the world anything to bring back that day and um because the events that followed afterwards me being a single mom um you know just it it was really and having mental illness and um I was clean at the time um I did, um, I think Angel was like three, I believe. And I had um, started recreational, you know, drinking and I'd smoke pot if I was away from her. Um, you know, I she'd spend some time with my mom and my dad on the weekends. Um, you know, I would do that. And um, I worked two jobs. 
and you know working two jobs being a single mom not getting any child support you know it was really hard um you know I had to work two jobs I mean there was no other way that I was going to be able to make it um so So did the dad ever send you support or it seemed like he wanted to help he wanted to help in the beginning but as soon as he got to California it was like you know, Angel who, you know, my daughter was like, you know, I mean, he called when he got there and I didn't really speak to him again until Angel was like 17. Oh, wow. Yes. So it was, you know, once again, you know, that person that was supposed to be there and said they were going to be there and do the right thing wasn't there. And so I did what I had to do. I worked two jobs and, you know, that required me. I cut hair during the day and I worked at a bar at night and, you know, doing what I can do to provide for my daughter. And um, like I said, when she was like three, I started drinking again. And um, then she... uh, Um, I don't know if my mom caught wind of me drinking and smoking pot, um, but, uh, or, and I don't know how, if she did, um, but we, uh, she had went to court and tried to get custody of my daughter the first time, well, actually the first three times in, um, in Yorktown, and, um, the judge was like, no way, you know, there's nothing wrong. You know, well, the third time he told her, don't bring her back, don't bring me, you know, I told my mom, don't bring me back to court again, you know, or he would find her in contempt because what she was bringing me to court for was unfounded. And, you know, I was testing clean. It was, you know, it's just, you know, when all that stuff, I stopped smoking pot. I was still drinking, um, but... You know, I I did what I had to do for my daughter at that point in time. And uh, I moved to Newport News um, when Angel was like five. She was five years old because she started school in Newport News. And um, she, uh, um, that was when it was real bad. I didn't have any help. Uh, there was a very nice older lady that was next door to us that would help me at night with Angel um, while I worked, you know. Um, you know, I would get off at 3 o'clock in the morning and bring her back to her bed right next And I wouldn't even, I, I couldn't even go to sleep really sometimes because I was afraid I wasn't going to get up, you know, to make sure she got to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, that was a very trying time part in my life. And my mom did it again. And, um, Newport News took me to court. And I went and got a lawyer this time. And they went and got a lawyer. And, um, I was seeing a guy that lived inside um, the neighborhood I lived in. And, um, my mom actually 
went and um, this was proven went and gave the guy that I was seeing money and told him to go and get some weed and um, you know have a good time with me during the weekend because <laughs> my mom had my daughter and Monday morning there was CPS at my door um, taking me to go get a urine screen and um, I went I failed it and um, you know and I so your mom set you up yes she did oh now I want to clarify something um you know I know some people might say well you shouldn't have been doing it to begin with no I shouldn't have you know I've come you know I've accepted responsibility for my actions and um I shouldn't have been using period regardless of whether my daughter was there or not you know I that causes people to be um I use the words part-time parent um because when you're using you're not there really you might physically be there, but you're not mentally there. <clears throat> Even if you're not high at the time. <clears throat> and, um, but what she did was ratchet. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was very ratchet. And um, she, um, you know, I found out through my lawyer because, you know, they had to, you know, find out how she knew that I was you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it just all came out. My lawyer told me what happened. And <clears throat> when I lost my daughter at that point in time, I, it was almost like I felt that she died. She was what I breathed for. She was what I worked so hard for. She kept me, she kept me going. You know, I mean, she really kept me just, rooted and when I lost her it just felt like my world collapsed up underneath me it was like the end of the world came and I went right back to doing what I was doing before I met her I mean before I had my daughter and um, it got really 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 bad um, from then until now um, that's when I say my race began. Um, I stayed around in Newport News for a while. Um, I, uh, you know, I was prostituting and, and uh, doing what I had to do in and out of hotels. Um, uh, I had met this guy and he had to go to Texas, I guess to see his nephew or somebody that lived in part of his family. And um, we got there and I was using at the time. Um, we got there and he put me up in a hotel and you know, I don't know if any drug addicts or recovery drug addicts are listening, but 
You know, all a drug addict has to do, an active drug addict has to do, in a hotel situation where you know there's drugs around, is just step out of your room. And it was on. You know, um, I met some people there, and uh, the guy did come back um, to get me, to take me back, and I was gone. Where, where did you go? I was, I had met the people there and I had went with them um, to another hotel. Um, I had met a couple girls that were working like me and um, um, we had went to another hotel. I had no idea where I was. I know I was in Houston, but I didn't know where in Houston. Right. Um, I, uh, you know, things so this this was a prostitution ring um yes this is when i got into um you know these girls took me in i met this guy and um he was having um us run um in between um louisiana um and he uh texas i mean dallas fort worth i mean it was uh Houston, you know, Amarillo. I mean, I've been all over Texas. Um, he was making us um, go to truck stops. Um, trucking is really big in Houston and Texas, period. And, um, you know, he was transporting us from state to city to, you know. Um, and I really didn't know how to get out of that. Um, it was a scary. Uh oh. He was, How old were um, you? Go ahead. At that point in time of my life, I was 27, 28. I was 28 years old when that happened. Um, and then uh, I got um, in trouble in Houston for drug paraphernalia. And um, I got six months and um, Dayton, Texas, um, at Plain State Jail. Uh, I was there for six months and I got out not knowing anybody, not knowing where to go. My mom and nobody was talking to me. Um, you know, I just went back to where, because they sent me right back to Houston, city of Houston, you know, the Greyhound bus area, city of Houston. and. You know, it's all right there. And behold, I run into somebody I know at the bus station and it was, you know, it was a vicious cycle for me. I was, um, I had been in jail three times the whole time I was in Texas. Um, and I had met this guy um, there. He was a trucker. Um, uh, a person that will remain in my heart forever. Um, the last time I was incarcerated, he, I mean, he came to see me every weekend. He, you know, he wrote me, sent me cards, you know, he helped me while I was in there. And he also communicated with my grandmother. Um, and he promised my grandmother that he would bring me home. And 
we got out that day. He picked me up from the jail, and I um, he took me home. He brought me back to Virginia, wow. and uh, <laughs> you know that relationship there with that gentleman was. Uh, it's we'll we'll remain friends forever. Um, he's he's a good man. He's a really, really good man. Um, he treated treated me very, very well. We'll be right back with Lisa right after our sponsors. Okay. Hi, this is Jerry Wicker of the Savvy Beach Bums podcast, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story with my good friend Keisha B., a positive and uplifting member of the Inspire Network of independent podcasters. Prepare to be inspired. Okay, we're back with Lisa. Lisa, go ahead and pick up where you left off. Um, like I said, I came back um, to Virginia. He brought me back to Virginia, and um, uh, we remain still today close friends. Um, when I got back to Virginia, I managed to stay clean for, um, like a year. It was like a year. I was back in my daughter's life and, you know, she was older and, you know, she was still, um, at that point in time, receptive to, you know, me trying to have a re- some type of relationship with her. Um, uh, and unregrettably I relapsed and was back out of her life again Um, I I have to say that you know I was not a um, good parent at all Um, I did not do what a parent should do Um, and you know being in and out of her life you know, we're having problems now, and she has the right, absolute right to feel the way she feels. And, um, you know, that's another story. But uh, when I got back into the drugs um, here in Virginia, um, I uh, started doing the same crap I was doing in Texas. Um, uh, but I, you know, was out on my own. I was, you know, trying to do what I could do to keep a roof over my head at night and, you know, my trying to keep, you know, me from being sick because I was still doing heroin. Um, I uh, got busted again um, here in, New, uh, well, in Newport News and um, mm-hmm. for prostitution as well as uh, drug paraphernalia and Virginia's a lot stricter than Texas is as far as giving you time for that kind of stuff so I did (laughs) I did a year for that and I got out you know I was on probation and I was doing pretty good uh 
And then, you know, it, it's, it was, you know, I keep on saying vicious cycle because that's what it was. It was like a big circle for me. I was in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, finally. The, pro- huh? the prostitution ring that you were in in Virginia, how long were you in that ring? Um, three years. Wow. Three years. Um, we were running back and forth from Philly to, um, you know, we were in Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk. You know, the ring got busted in Virginia Beach. And uh, um, I was so blessed at that point in time because this man was, he got some major, major time behind. I mean, he was transporting minors across the state line. And how many, how many girls would you say that he had in this ring? I'm not absolutely positively sure, but I know that I know of. There was that I had seen or met personally at least thirty. I don't. Oh. I don't know how many more. There probably was more. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, um, but um, what I do know is that. The detectives that and the prosecuting attorney that busted Mm -hmm. this ring was a true blessing in my eyes. Um, I got, you know, that that went down, and um, the charges that I received um, from there was the possession charge, which I rightfully owned. You know, it was on my person. and um, they allowed me to do um, drug court, which is, you know, some people say it's a setup program, but for me, I have to say that the Newport News Drug Court really, really changed my life. Um, it was the absolute. Now, I'm not saying it was easy because there were days I was walking out of that program. It's a very, very strict um, outpatient. I mean, you go there every day, you drug test two, three, sometimes four times a week. You know, it depends on whenever they wanted you to do that. <clears throat> you had to go there during the day and five days a week, and you had to work at night. So, you know, I did really well. I graduated the program within three years. Um, And during this time I was in the program, I had, before I went in, I met this guy. And he, uh, he, um, he was a John and a trick and he started coming to see me while I was incarcerated waiting to be able to um, you know start my drug court program and um, you know while he was in there he was he was a nice guy I really really cared for him Um, you know some problems I was supposed to get out and go see uh, go live with a um, she was supposed to sponsor me she was um, one of the church ladies that was going into the Newport New City Jail, she was supposed to sponsor me for that. And 
I get out the day I get out and she's not there. So, and I still don't know what happened with that, but my aunt, um, she, um, she brought me, she took me into her house and I'm very thankful for that. I immediately, um, you know, started looking for somewhere to live. And this gentleman that I, um, you know, was coming to see me, he offered me to be able to come stay with him. And um, eventually I accepted. Um, I moved in with him and our relationships, you know, progressed. And during the whole time I am in drug court, you know, I'm letting these people know, putting on a happy face that, you know, my relationship is great and that, you know, everything's fine, treats me like a lady. Um, but, um, and I want to say he's Hispanic and very um, domineering, very possessive. Um, you know, in his culture, they believe that women are beneath them. Um, uh, at least that's what he believes. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> It was, it was more like a arrangement than anything else, you know. I love him, you know, but I don't want to say he didn't love me, but, you know, he was very physical, um, abusive, physically abusive, um, and very uh, mentally abusive, and I was so afraid that that would cause me problems in the program that I hid it from them. And, you know, I eventually graduated. And after I graduated, you know, the abuse continued. Um, I just couldn't handle it no more. And with me not being under anybody's supervision anymore, I relapsed. And, oh. yeah, I relapsed. Oh, man. I relapsed. And, um... Uh, you know, that was, that tore me up. I had been, yeah, I could, I had been, you did all that work. You did all that work like three years, right? Yeah. And, um, I had learned so much about myself and the therapy that I had been through and you know they say people sometimes put on a mask and that's what I was doing when I was going there and so you know I was getting therapy and I was handling some of the uh, the and dealing with some of the issues that I had in my life but I was not dealing with the I was allowing somebody to still control me, still abuse me. You know, it was all about that. You know, I was just being controlled. Um, well, he came to you in a different form that you thought was love. And then you said, okay, this is, this must be what love feels like, what it looks like. 
okay, I'm going to dive right in. And you didn't know you were diving into a shark tank. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I want to go back a little bit too. that while I was in drug court, I did go back to school, um, college, and I did receive my associates and uh, um, uh, oh my goodness, Phys- uh, science, social science, and um, I took a four-year, okay. took a four-year transferable degree. So I have two more years left to be able to finish complete, absolutely complete, a full degree in um, uh, social science. And I, um, I didn't want to, you know, add that in there because it can be done. You can change your, yeah. change your life. And, you know, I was still battling with, because I didn't deal with it while I was in drug court, allowing that that one person in your life that you love or that I love to control who I was and to physically abuse me and mentally abuse me. So it was like from birth until at that moment in my life, that had always been the case in my life. There was always somebody there controlling who I was, controlling what I did controlling you know just controlling everything about me and I I just couldn't handle it and that's when when did you have that moment in your life where you took control um I um uh violated probation again (laughs) and Oh, that's when you took control? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll go. Violated probation again. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I had time to think. I was, I was older. And, um, I, while I was incarcerated that time, I allowed myself to get help while I was there. And there was some, uh, there was a lady there that was a psychologist and psych, you know, psychiatrist. You know, I was able to see her twice a week and I worked through some things while I was in there. And when I got out um, in December of 2016, um, my cousin allowed me to um, come stay with her. And um, I stayed with her for a while. And during this time, I met the man that I am actually married to now. Um, Wonderful man, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, He's absolutely fabulous. Um, There's none of that, you know, controlling uh, stuff going on. (laughs) Um, That's good. Yeah. Um, But, you know, during that time I met him and I think the best thing I could have ever done was move away from the peninsula. I moved um, to up near Northern Virginia and I am, I'm doing absolutely fabulous now. I'm in recovery. I go to therapy regularly. You know, I'm not under any type of supervision. Um, I'm, I'm doing really good. And 
you know it scares me sometimes because of the sometimes you know addicts tend to self-sabotage things you know when they're going really good sometimes you think that you know it's an uncomfortable feeling for me when things are going well in my life because I'm used to things always going bad um and you know the one thing that you know I have realized in my life you know is that I am an addict and that you know Narcotics Anonymous is my life preserver. Um, it's it works for me. Um, you know, I used to think it was a bunch of crap, and you know, it was boring going to those meetings, and you know, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't pay attention. But you know, I have to say, within the last six years you know, of going to these meetings, you know, it has been a big, big change for me. Um, it can be done, no matter how much or how bad of a life that you've had, um, you can, you know, get through bad things that, you know, staying clean, you can, you know, um, you know, I don't have a very good relationship with my daughter and I'm telling you that's probably one of the worst things that I'm going through right now and it hurts but I can't imagine the hurt that she has gone through due to the choices the bad decisions and the choices that I've made so I've got to put my hurt aside sometimes and because my feelings are valid too um, but you know I've got to realize that when it's time for her to come around, she'll come around. And I can't, I can't force anything. Um, although, you know, the, the urge and the, you know, thinking about it too much is a big trigger for me. Um, a big mm -hmm. relapse trigger for me. Um, you know, wanting her in my life, she has my, she's had a daughter. Um, now, you know, my daughter's, she's 26 and um i've had you know she's got my granddaughter now and you know i've never met her before and you know due to my bad decisions and you know i don't even know what to say about that i mean it hurts and that would be something that you know you know, I got to keep myself grounded, but I'm not going to say that wouldn't help me keep me, keep myself grounded because they, you know, I've seen pictures of her and she is just so precious. She's the beautifulest little girl in the world. Um, and, you know, I, I hope one day that I am able to visit and build a relationship with my daughter again enough for her to trust me to be around her daughter the one thing that i could say about you lisa is that everything that has happened in your life all the circumstances bad or good um you has you have not allowed those things to define who you are right now no you've 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 conquered it and even though you might not have your daughter and your granddaughter in your life, you're still pushing through all that pain and hurt and hoping that um, 
she will come around and and be able to have that relationship that you want. I know that it will happen. We're just going to send all that good vibes into the universe and that uh and and hoping that it'll come back to you and she'll come over there and and hang out with you. Well, I hope so. I hope so. She's um I'm very proud of my daughter and what she's done with her life. Um she is a wonderful mother. Um yeah, she's you know, despite of the things that I've done and you know, showed her um she's 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 turned out really really well and I'm so very proud of her. Um you know, I you know the I want to you know just leave listeners with you know the one thing that you know I have learned you know from my life is that you know I you know all those years I thought I was alone and I wasn't alone because I'm still alive today um you know I I you know not everybody believes in the same things that I do but I believe God was there holding my hand and and I believe the things that I've gone through um have been for a purpose and that if I can just help one person just one person before I die even if it's nothing but planting a seed and maybe one day they will you know say hey I remember listening to this lady and this is what she went through and you know she hated it and I can make it too um you know even if it's not but that you know I I've done some good in this world and you know you're doing good doesn't necessarily have to mean you're a movie star or a president or you know I'm Lisa and I'm a drug addict and I survived and some horrible stuff in my life and you know people that might be going through the same thing you know there's a lot of sex trafficking and and prostitution rings out there now that young girls are being uh thrown into and you know it's it's something that I desperately advocate for and hopefully one day when I finish my degree I will be able to help um these women or men because there's men out there too that are involved in it um and forced into it um help them get through that um you know I have a record but you know through god anything is possible you know i know a lot of people that have you know stayed clean for many many years and and done well for themselves and you know one man that uh i uphold highly and uh he worked for the drug court system and uh he um he you know went through a rough life and had charges and you know he became a um the director of drug court you know um he was an addict you know for many 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 years um on the same things that I was on so you know it can be done you know i've seen addicts you know get their nursing license back and you know it's you know things anything's possible and it's it's just you got to put work towards it you know 
think of all the exhausting hard work towards trying not to for you know or trying to forget the bad things that you've done and you know imagine the the hard work that you can put into positive energy and to helping you know other people get through what you've been through or you know learning how just learning how to cope with it and you know if you can get up seven days out of the week and be happy three days out of that week instead of being sad or depressed seven days away, then you're doing something for yourself and um you know me the most important thing today is my recovery god my recovery and you know i try to um i'm trying to work through some you know personal demons of my own still today and it's uh you know being um spiritually physically and mentally you know fit is my goal so um that's really all i have i you know hope i have reached somebody today well lisa first and foremost i want to thank you for being on the podcast today um please let us know if you you know i heard that you want to be a part of stopping uh sex trafficking uh we want to help be a part of your crusade so anything that you need from us getting word out uh whatever it is that you need you let us know and we want to be a part of that as well um and so i just wanted to say thank you one more time for sharing your story with us today it was it was just I'm I'm over you can't hear me but I was literally just bawling all over the place. But um I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I really really do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Storytellers, if you know someone who might be a victim of sex trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. Thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story. This podcast has been brought to you by your parent company, KC Products, LLC. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Connect with us and keep the conversation going on Facebook and Instagram. If you love Tell Me Your Story, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time.